Hello there. Welcome to another episode of Dorkfest, the podcast. Yes, that's right. It's time for the next installment of the show that made the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs. Thank you so much for joining us again. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you find your podcast and help us catch up to some of those bigger Corellian chefs. As you may hear someone say in the Moss Eisley Spaceport, we're fast enough for the old man. Speaking of old men, let me introduce you to my fellow Jedi Knights of the Dork Table. My name is Jordan Freemuth, your mindless philosopher and guide for this evening's episode. Alongside me is my cousin, Gabe Freemuth, who I would never even think about calling an overweight glob of grease. Gabe, how are you doing? Uh, everything is under control, situation normal. <laughs> uh, and I had a slight weapons malfunction, but uh, everything's perfectly all right now. We're fine. We're all fine here now. Thank you. <clears throat> how are you? You know, I've always wondered how he would have actually responded to that. I've always wondered, how is he? Also joining us tonight are my brothers, the old fossil himself, Dan Freemuth, and our stuck-up, half-witted, scruffy-looking, nerve-hurting, forever Dorkfest champion, Josh Freemuth. Bros, scruffy-looking. Well, I, I'm doing I'm doing well now. I, I crashed my X-wing into the swamps of Dagobah earlier this afternoon and, and spent all day digging that darn thing out. But we're good to go now. Red, ready for ready for the dork fest. I'm uh, I, I am weary. I was in the yard cutting grass, pulling weeds all day. I just hope I can make enough on the harvest this year to hire some more hands. Some really, some really great references in there, dorks. Before we get rolling for today's episode, though, I did want to give a quick shout out to Shran007, the contributor of our first five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Shran007, clearly a fan of both the James Bond franchise and Star Trek Enterprise. So, Dan, I guess that means that he has at least two things in common with you. Yeah, um, clearly. We, we, that, that nut may not fall too far from the tree. Shran, thanks for providing another vote for Balance of Terror after listening to our first episode. We appreciate your support, and let's keep those positive reviews coming. To begin, dorks, I have a quick warm-up question for you all. As we all know, we're recording this on Saturday, but Monday is Star Wars Day, which has become a bit of a national and global holiday. And that got me thinking, where are the monuments to Star Wars? Sure, we have the Star Wars amusement park in Hollywood, but for a pop culture force such as this, I feel like we need a little bit more, something a bit grander in scale. So, let's make one. With that, today's warm-up question is, who or what would you put on the Mount Rushmore of Star Wars? There are four dorks, thus we will each get one selection. Josh, you're up first. So, the first face that I'm putting on the Mount Rushmore of Star Wars is R2-D2. I think in a Mount Rushmore of Star Wars, you have to have a droid. The droids in Star Wars are the proxy for the audience. They are us. They are watching the action, getting attached to these characters, suffering the lows and being exhilarated by the highs. And R2-D2 is the best example of that. In my opinion, he's an iconic character who is able to build relationships, uh, especially with Luke and C-3PO, uh, even though he does no dialogue. He never says anything. And he forms these great relationships with these characters. And I think that as a face on Mount Rushmore, it's also R2-D2 has an iconic look to him. So R2-D2 is the first face for the Dorkfest Mount Rushmore of Star Wars. Josh, great selection. He definitely does have an iconic look to him, although I wonder 
where does the face begin exactly? Like, would you just take like sort it's of the, the, yeah, it's, it's it's the, the rounded circle? edge? Yeah, it's, it's that top of the garbage can. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. what I was going to say. Top, <laughs> of, the top of the garbage can. can. <laughs> Gabe, how about you? What face are you putting on Mount Rushmore? I was thinking about it and, uh, you know, while when, if you asked me if I was five, I probably just would have said lightsaber. And we just have a giant lightsaber up there on the, you know, and not, you know, still to this day, not a terrible answer, but I think I'm going to be a little predictable if dorky. And I think you got to put George Lucas up there. At the end of the day, we're not talking about this if it's not for his vision. And uh, I think we're going to be talking a lot about what George wanted for Star Wars today. But um, yeah, regardless of your thoughts about the prequels, which can be many and they're terrible, you know, it, none of this happens without without George Lucas guiding the franchise and not just what they are, but in the precedence he set in what and how he articulated this vision, sort of the clues he left for anybody that wanted to follow after to try and make something similar, try and match that tone. It's the elusive thing, that, that formula we're always trying to capture these days. Absolutely, absolutely. A safe pick, but I think a, a very warranted pick, absolutely visionary. I'll go ahead and jump in there before Dan. I have a sneaking suspicion that he might be thinking about putting this face up on Mount Rushmore. So I'm going to go ahead and nab it right before him just in case. When I think of Star Wars, you know, I think of obviously all of the things that you see, all of the battles that you see, all of the visuals that you see. But I think before I think about any of that, I also think about what I hear. The iconic music of Star Wars. And for that reason, up on the Mount Rushmore of Star Wars, I'm going with John Williams. Excellent choice, uh, Jordan. That's a really great thought on your part. And Un-friggin-believable. Uh, yeah. That's, yeah, exactly, gonna, yeah. that's, that's of course yeah. where I was going to go. And it's of course where I thought no one else would go. I thought I had this outside the box thinking that I would take my beloved John Williams. I'm still, I'm still working up an outline for a future show where we can do a deep dive into movie soundtracks and basically just That's extol the virtues time. of John Williams. But you're right, Jordy. That is a sensational pick. He deserves to be up there. So I mean, we could I, just put his face up there twice. No, 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 no. No, because there are plenty of other iconic faces. So right now we've got R2-D2, George Lucas... John Williams, and I will round out Mount Rushmore by throwing Darth Vader. I think that's a very appropriate finish. You've got to have, I mean, he is the most iconic villain of all time. The look, the sound of Darth Vader. Um, he is so intimidating. He is basically the first thing you see, your, your entrance into Star Wars when you think back to A New Hope, and of course that Skywalker timeline from episodes one through nine, he's a huge part of that. So while I am disappointed that I don't get to be the one that etches John Williams' face into the side of a mountain, I will very happily etch the mug of Darth Vader. Excellent, excellent choices, excellent answers all around. Dan, I would say that I'm sorry for taking John Williams from you, but we would all know that that's not actually the case. And, and as these answers are so great, you know, sort of following in the um, walking carpet footsteps of, of Josh from last week, I'm going to dole out some points for the warm-up question. You can't get a haircut. It's not my fault. <laughs> so going through just some quick points, just some quick points for the warm-up question. Josh is going to go ahead and get four points for his answer of R2-D2. Those points are just adding up the two numbers that are in R2-D2's name. So that's how I came up with that. Gabe, 
George Lucas. Going to go ahead and give you three points for that because you came up with a name after Josh, and three is one number lower than four. I think that's how math works. Dan, I really wanted to give you zero points because you really just wanted to piggyback on on mine, but I felt like that would be unfair. So Dan's going to get one point for Darth Vader, but really just because Darth Vader is so cool. So really, Dan gets that one point, not because of anything that he said or any choices that he made, but just because of Darth Vader. This is like how I got three points for my crew last week, but only because I stuck up for a Will Riker selection by Josh. So it's it's very clear in the early format here that I am not getting points for any salient points that I make, but rather just pity points or sticking up for other points. I mean, it would help if you made some salient points, but oh, yeah, no. yeah, for for the most part, for the most part, that's where we're going. All right, I'll take I'll take my one point and move on. <laughs> so a- as I mentioned, uh, this is a special sort of holiday edition of the podcast that we have for you here. And with that, we want to say to you all, as Margaret Thatcher's political party first uttered in 1979, may the 4th be with you. Whether you're listening to this on the 4th or after the 4th or next year during the 4th, we want you to really let that message ring home. Um, Now, we could probably fill a year's worth of podcasts on the subject of Star Wars. So we've decided to focus the lens a little bit. We're going to be looking at two of the most recent Star Wars productions, The Mandalorian and Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. We're going to be discussing the direction that each of these has taken the franchise and then ultimately deciding where we hope Star Wars will go from there. As we no doubt know that Disney is listening to this podcast, we then assume that Disney will be listening to us and moving forward with the decisions that we make. For anyone who's new to the pod, though, I do want to just review some of the nuts and bolts of the show. So first off, we separate the topic into a one, two, and three-point question. The moderator, that would be me, will dish out points after each question, as I did with the warm-up question. Uh, These points may have everything, or as with Dan earlier, nothing to do with the points made throughout our discussions. Uh, And then likewise with that, at the end of the episode, I will crown a winner. That winner may be based on the points made throughout, points earned throughout, or really just how I'm feeling at that moment in time. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and move on to our one-point question. Josh, this is going to be going to you first. What direction do you believe the Mandalorian is taking the Star Wars franchise? In the simplest terms, uh, Mandalorian is taking the Star Wars franchise in the right direction. I rewatched all eight episodes this week clearly have more than a little bit of time on my hands and um i came to a realization that the the first three episodes of mandalorian currently are my favorite two hours of star wars to watch you know nothing can compare to the nostalgia i feel for the first three movies dan can remember us you know going to top hat video and renting return of the jedi week after week after week when we were kids didn't already have it on laser disc <laughs> no in, in, laser disc. yeah in in those early VHS. days yeah in those early days we didn't and we just loved that those movies so much we would watch them all the time and those certainly hold a special place in my heart but those first three 
episodes of Mandalorian from his introduction and then the just lightning bolt of baby Yoda and the instant tug that is on your heart and emotions and the the action that's sprinkled in. And it's not all like seriously heavy action. Some of it is a little more lighthearted with his uh, interactions with the Jawas. It is currently my my favorite two hours of Star Wars to watch. It is what brings me the most joy. If you If someone told me that you have two hours and you must watch Star Wars, what's going to bring you the most enjoyment? It's those three episodes. And I, I love Empire Strikes Back. I love A New Hope. I, I really, really like Last Jedi, too, in all corners of Star Wars fandom. That is not a terribly popular opinion. But these three episodes are just so, so good. That is a scorching hot take, Josh. I mean, well, I'm not sure how scorching it is, but it... it over the, uh, if you have two hours of Star Wars and you're going to pick some episodes of The Mandalorian over The Empire Strikes Back, that's, that's hot to yeah. Yeah, it's a hot take if you're taking that over, yeah, let's say the ice planet battle on Hoth, for example. Yeah, I, I consider that a hot take, but not necessarily an inappropriate one. I was going to say, no, I, and I also find myself nodding with Josh's assessment here. I, I think it's an absolutely defensible hot take. I think just to piggyback off of what Josh is saying about taking it in the right direction, I, I guess I would also say taking it in a 21st century and and maybe more to the point, a 2020 kind of direction. Yes, Star Wars Rebels exists and yes, Star Wars Clone Wars exists and has existed on TV. Full admission, that's not something that I have ever uh, sunk the time into watching and maybe I would end up enjoying. I, I don't know. I, I have not dedicated time into that, but big stars and big moments exist on TV now, whether it's Netflix or Hulu or Disney Plus or Amazon Prime or you name it. I mean, yes, we all still love, you know, our big events often surround getting together for movies, James Bond, Star Wars, Star Trek, Planet of the Apes, you name it. But so much of big entertainment exists on TV right now. And that was a boat that Disney, as it relates specifically to Star Wars, that was a road they had not gone down yet. And then they go down it, and it's this massive home run. And there's so many wonderful things about it. But I think, yes, it's taking Star Wars in the right direction, but also in a timely and appropriate direction when you think about all the fans that can be generated, but also, let's be honest, all the money that can be made. Which always uh, begs the question, well, I guess it's not the question because we know what happened, but yeah, this, the spectacle of Disney having no Baby Yoda merchandise available to protect the secret of it. Boy, you'd think the mouse only wants its money, but uh, you got to, and I think this speaks um, to uh, a couple of the strengths of The Mandalorian, starting with two of the people responsible for its creation. It's show run by John Favreau, who I believe is directly responsible for that Baby Yoda decision. Um, and John Favreau is no stranger to building shared universes, it should be noted. This is a guy who directed, among other things, uh, a delightful movie called Elf, starring Will Ferrell that we probably all know, and another small little scene movie called Iron Man that came out in 2008 that spawned the birth of the behemoth of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But he clearly has a handle on, on the action and on the, on the look and the feel, and he's aided by a good team of writers that I think a part of that is Dave Filoni, who has been a huge part of Star Wars for a while, and I believe was responsible for what uh, Dan mentioned, the Clone Wars series, uh, Rebels, as well, I think in part as Resistance 
but another thing the Mandalorian gets really right, and this gets to Josh's point of the original trilogy being, you know, the sort of the end all be all of, of what Star Wars is. It's what everybody's always chasing. They, I think they have gone back to basic principles on the Mandalorian. What George Lucas talked about when they were making Star Wars, the very first one in 77, was this concept of a used future. Those were the words he, he uh, used <laughs> there was... Um, he wanted something that looked lived in, that he wanted the, the look and, you know, the experience of a fantasy with the look and feel of documentary. He complained to somebody that the futuristic movies of the time, those sci-fi movies, they took place in these perfect chrome spotless futures that it looked like nobody lived there. And you, I mean, you look at Tatooine you know, when they're shooting in the Tunisian desert. And I mean, it, it feels that it's a, it's a place that time has seen and characters have, you know, that unseen have lived and died there. You get the sense of every footstep in the sand. The first scene, the saloon he walks into Every one of those characters is a regular there, and you know it before, you know, without even having to be told. And I think this speaks to the other strength of Mandalorian, that it is unabashedly, and I know I use this point with Star Trek, but I think it's, uh, you know, while Wagon Train to the Stars was the pitch concept for Roddenberry, the Mandalorian is a straight-up adapted sci-fi western. Yeah, Gabe, you bring up a couple of things in there that I think are really important in terms of thinking about the direction that Mandalorian is taking the Star Wars franchise, but also what Mandalorian is doing so well. And I think one of the things that it does well is actually piggybacking a little bit on what Star Wars The Clone Wars does well. Dan, you mentioned that you hadn't gotten a chance to check out any of those episodes, and I was in that same boat earlier this week as well, but I did take the time to just watch the first two episodes last night. One of the things that I noticed immediately with The Clone Wars, for anyone that's seen them, is they start with these sort of like almost news-like, like here's what's happening in the universe right now, and that totally plays to that idea of a used future. It's it's this sense of you, it's very documentary-like. You are being placed in the middle of this universe, in the middle of this, you know, what is in this universe a very real moment, a very real interaction. And it sort of then intertwines that with the with the lessons that are taught through that. And it's one of the things that like watching it as an adult, it's kind of endearing that it starts with these um, Bones at war. Yeah, yeah. But then even before that, you have the messages that are in the, the very distinct Star Wars script, Star Wars font. And, you know, it's tying that in with, with the audience that, was, that it was designed for, which was for children. So it's, you know, it's very much aware of what it is. But then, Gabe, I also, you know, not so much related to the Clone Wars bit, but related to what you brought up in the, in the Western bit. When you were talking about the Mandalorian being such a Western, I immediately then went back and watched the first scene of the Mandalorian. And, and if you listen really, really closely, the, one of the first noises you hear is, you, you have that great score, you have the music in the background, but then you hear the click of his shoes, just like a cowboy walking into a saloon. Jordan, you talk about the feeling of being dropped into a situation. What, what that made me think about in Mandalorian is episode four, the, the first like five minutes of that episode where you're just dropped into this completely foreign planet. They don't tell you what it is. They don't tell you who any of these people are. It's a mother and her daughter and they're farming these little blue shrimp type creatures. And then there is this danger and they, they, they take no time to explain anything. And that is a, a riveting five minute scene to completely establish this entire world that they're going to need for this episode to tell a story about the Mandalorian. But other sci-fi series, uh, other sci-fi movies, certainly the prequels may have taken a bit more time and space to tell you, here is this planet we're going to, and this is the two people we will 
we'll be talking about. Uh, and instead, they just drop you right in and show it. And that episode, I mean, as we, we talk about um, this being your, and I agree, um, Josh, that it is great that they just sort of like keep up. And because their world building is so good, you you can follow along pretty easily. Like, you know, you're shown, not told. That is a the prime rule of storytelling. And that episode ends up effectively being the Magnificent Seven. You know, uh, the Mandalorian uh, meets an ex-rebel shock trooper, Cara Dune, an old friend of his. And between them, they're contracted to help protect the town. They, you know, teach the townspeople for a little bit. They set up some traps for the ATST that's, uh, you know, used to terrorize the town. And, it, and it's kind of a small scale action scene. But as you say, it's thrilling because it's the strength of the characters, the strength of how they're using what's familiar about Star Wars and what's familiar about Westerns to show us something completely new. I mean, even a couple of the weaker episodes that we might talk about, um, the middle, uh, I think it's the middle two you talk about, Josh, uh, Gunslinger and the Prisoner. Those are Western tropes too. You know, there's a new kid in town. He's hot to trot. He's For going sure, to yeah. the bounty. Um, he needs help from the other guy. He'll split the commission. You know, it's fine and you can't trust him. The other one. A, um, pr a prison break. You it's, know. it's a prison break. It's a train heist. It's, um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, boy, I, between the two, I think that's the stronger episode is the prisoner. But uh, yeah, and the um, yeah, I, I I disagree with you with you there. Uh, but th I think that has more to do with just the flow of the series, and by that time, wanting to just get back to the 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 client and figuring out what's going on there. Totally. And by the time we got to this third of these like adventure of the week type episodes, I was like, all right, you know, this is all cool and everything, but let's get back to where baby Yoda came from and who are these people that are trying to get him and all that. I really liked that because it was a TV show format and they had this much bigger uh, palette at its disposal that they could take episodes and go down that road to, to have the a team episode, which was what the fourth episode really reminded me a lot of um, these vigilantes that are hired to protect the underdog that, that just reeked of a team to me. Uh, you That's guys a great point, Dan. I had never thought of that. But, but to me, the, the strength of the series is the look and the feel of it. Yes. And that even goes back to the trailer. When we saw the trailer, it was, yes, this looks like star Wars. It feels like star Wars, but to me, the bigger thing, and I think the longer series format is a strength in Mandalorian's favor. The movies only have two hours to tell these stories. And sometimes that is a crutch and sometimes that is presents real problems, but character development because they have eight episodes and these episodes can be 45 minutes or they can be 24 minutes. They can be however long they want or they need them to be. They have the length and the breadth to be able to develop these characters. And it means you can take a second episode and watch Mando on a Jawa sand crawler and learn about how he kind of handles these situations. And it means you can take five minutes and have these adorable little moments between Mando and baby Yoda, where baby Yoda's pulling off the little circle on his ship. You in a movie format, a producer is going to look at those five minutes and say, look, we only got two and a half hours. Get it out of here. It doesn't move the plot along. But in a TV format, you can dedicate that time and it really enhances the character development and enhances your love of these characters. And characters have always been the strong suit of Star Wars at the end of the day. You know, the story can be familiar. It's a space fantasy, but it's the characters that have always kept Star Wars afloat. And Gabe, those characters can be big or small. One of my favorites is the Mandalorian armorer 
who is a terrific character in and of herself. And she also provides this great window onto the Mandalorian culture, which we have gotten to know a little bit about. But my interest, at least, has certainly been piqued to see what else we might be able to learn about the Mandalorian culture. Absolutely, absolutely. Some really, really great points made by all the dorks. So great, in fact, you might say that they belong among the clouds. And with those, you know, great conclusions that have been drawn by the fellow dorks, I'm going to be doling out some points. Josh, we went with you first uh, last time as, uh, as well, so we'll do that again. Josh is going to earn five Dorkfest points. Boom, uh, for a record. A- for a top hat video reference, really, you know, pulling that one out of the uh, the ghost of Far Dork recesses. Yeah. Yes. Um, Way out in the outer rim. Yeah, uh, Gabe. Unfortunately, you are going to earn zero points this round. You made a lot of great points, and, and like really, you drove this discussion. It was really, really fantastic. However, you made a mistake very, very early on, labeling uh, Return of the Jedi as a laser disc that they would watch it on a laser disc when in fact it was, it was not, they, they weren't watching it on a laser disc. So, you know, while, while the points Ooh. that you made were all fantastic, um, we just, we just can't pay, we can't be making these sort of mistakes. Tough judging. Gabe, you were what, like three years old? Yeah. <laughs> when this would have been happening. Ouch. I mean, you know, I, I well remember the VHSs of star Wars that I had that had the, you know, half the character's face on the, on the, I think it was, yeah. You're on, on oh, the yeah, those were great. Um, yeah, no, it, it, uh, yeah they, they were great. I think it was a, a trooper of some type for Empire or something like that. You know, it was it was, it was. It was a stormtrooper. Yeah. And, and you, had the, you had the bronze coloring for the full yep. screen, and you had the silver coloring packaging oh, for the widescreen. Yeah, and, and a very important call. You definitely want the wide, you want this in its... In its a- absolutely. Know, uh, Jordy, feel free to use that little nugget to increase my point total. For you know, round. it's funny because Dan was only going to yeah, earn two points. Feet. Dan was only going to earn two points, but then he, you know, the beautiful remembrances of the coloring on those VHS yes. covers, that's going to bring it up to three points. The other two points are for um, the, the call out of Josh's hot take at the beginning of this segment of the episode you know josh i think it's it's certainly a hot take to be saying that those two hours of the mandalorian are better than all two hours of the empire strikes back but dan had to call it out and he earns at least two points for calling it out speaking of the number two we're going to go ahead and move on to our two-point question so we just talked about the direction that the mandalorian was taking star wars let's switch it to the most recent movie that we saw Dan, this question is going to be coming to you first for our two-point question. What direction is the rise of Skywalker taking the Star Wars franchise? So I'm going to sort of reword the question a little bit as opposed to what direction is it taking? I'm going to go with That can't bode well for your points. Kind of what what direction was the movie taking because it was the end of this nine film arc and the end of this more immediate trilogy. And and I'm going to argue and, and look, just, I'm going to put my cards on the table right away. I am a rise of Skywalker apologist. I loved the movie the first time I went and saw it again a second time. I loved it. I have cried no fewer than three times during the film, each of the two times that I have seen it. 
So I enjoyed it. And I think it took the movie and took the franchise where it had to go. I mean, the bottom line is this new trilogy is such a fractured relationship when you think about J.J. Abrams and The Force Awakens, and then you think about Ryan Johnson and The Last Jedi, and now going back to J.J., and clearly this movie is basically forgetting that 95% of The Last Jedi took place so that it can serve somewhat the storyline and the timeline that J.J. Abrams set out in The Force Awakens. It is sloppy, it is clunky, it is bloated at times, but it went where it had to go. It had to tie up all these loose ends. What an impossible assignment to tie up all these loose ends for all these beloved characters over nearly 50 years. And did it do a tremendous job in tying them all up? No but it got a lot of those references in. There was so much fan service, but you know what? The people that were going to see this movie, those are the people that you're catering to. The people like us who wanted to see Chewie get a medal, who wanted to see Harrison Ford as Han Solo one last time, who believed that yes, Ben Solo could be turned, but there was gonna be a cost. And the Emperor business, that Palpatine bloodline, that's a bit, odd and it seems a bit forced but i enjoyed seeing the emperor again and i enjoyed watching him get crushed at the end of the movie and in a little shout out to jordy's slot on mount rushmore john williams nails it again and i think that the movie did i think it was an impossible assignment from the beginning and i think it did as good a job of tying up loose ends and placating to individuals like us as it possibly could. And I know the internet is filled with detractors for this movie, but I am not one of them. Damn it, that was good. <laughs> you hear that, Jordy? Yeah, Point no, <laughs> points aside to that, that's, a, that's a, a heck of an opening salvo there, Dano. I, I hate to, I'm not gonna exactly take the opposite track. We were all there together watching Rise of Skywalker. Leave that to me, Gabe. <laughs> Roger that, happy to, can't wait. Don't get cocky. <laughs> but really, no, I mean, the, the theater experience of Rise of Skywalker, especially with all you guys, that it was delightful. And to see a lot of it happen, you know, in the moment, it, it was thrilling. And it does, I think this is maybe the best version of this attempt to, yes, try and weave together all these impossible strands uh, to make something that appeases as many people as possible. The problem I think comes in there, and this is the story of the sequel trilogy ultimately, is um, you kind of have as the shadow of a Star Destroyer appearing over a planet, you know, you've got Disney right over Lucasfilm's shoulder and right over Abram's shoulder or Ryan Johnson's shoulder or Colin, you know, fired Colin Trevorrow's shoulder, you know, looking to see what's, you know, especially after the, uh, as mentioned, mixed, unfortunately, reception to Last Jedi. And I will also go on record as saying that's probably my third favorite Star Wars movie. Not perfect, but boy, does it reach and get there most of the time and i think that's the problem with rise of skywalkers rise of skywalker is jj abrams episodes eight and nine smashed together it's not exactly that he's entirely relitigating the last jedi but the movie spends so much time apologizing for it and saying but it's okay there's this and yeah the fan service in there i have no problem with seeing harrison ford again being a ben solo sort of pseudo force vision i mean that's phenomenal and it's a great scene and if that's the way you want to get all three of the original trilogy characters 
in there. You, I have no problem with that. It, it's a delightful moment. And But the movie is made up of, delight, of delightful moments and never quite exceeds in some of its parts. And while we lauded The Mandalorian for being able to take what worked about the original trilogy, that, that purest inspiration maybe of, of what Star Wars is, while we lauded it for its ability to draw from that and build something new and familiar but still pushing things forward, I think The Rise of Skywalker by this point in the sequel trilogy the original trilogy is a stone around its neck. It can't escape it, that gravity to become its own thing. So for me, this movie, this whole sequel trilogy really succeeds and fail, succeeds, I'm not going to even say fail, succeeds solely on the strength of, I think, the incredible work put in by Daisy Ridley, by John Boyega, by Oscar Isaac, by Adam Driver, people like Domino Gleeson. You know, it, it, everybody is truly, you can see, it's, it's a joy for them to be there. And the characters are as good as anything Star Wars has ever, ever offered up but the story just can't support its ambitions. And Gabe, that ties back to what you were talking about with The Mandalorian too. You were talking about the characters and the actors playing these characters being what keeps Star Wars afloat. And I think that you could not have picked in a better movie, ex well, maybe one of the prequels, uh, but you, you probably couldn't have picked a better movie example of characters keeping a story afloat than The Rise of Skywalker. And the other thing that I wanted to point out or wanted to kind of piggyback on what you said was that you at one point mentioned, Gabe, how The Rise of Skywalker was the sum of its parts. And I think the failing of The Rise of Skywalker is that that's all it is. All it is is the sum of everything that came before it, but it didn't push past that. I think, you know, and I will go on record as well as saying The Last Jedi is in my top three as well. And I think one of the things that Last Jedi did was that it took the sum of the parts that came ahead of it, but then didn't feel like that was it. There was an additional message. There was an additional purpose that could go beyond that. Yes, the comparison between Mandalorian and The Rise of Skywalker might be slightly unfair because they're two totally sure. different mediums, but we're going to measure them anyway because that's what we do. But at the same time, Rise of Skywalker did not need to be purely a cumulative piece. Did not need to be purely just here's everything that came before it. We're going to tie that up as best that we can. It could have been more than that, and it didn't try to be more than that. You guys have done a real good job of elaborating on the, the legitimate challenges that this movie faced, the, the Disney influence, the, the clear just challenge of making the last movie in a nine- episode nine movie run and tying up every loose end. The problem is they didn't make a movie that was fun to watch. I saw rise of Skywalker in theaters and I do not think that I will ever watch it again. And that is the ultimate indictment of a star Wars movie. I cannot possibly believe that that is true. There is Nothing that I remember about that movie that I want to see again. I'm glad I went to see it. I enjoyed seeing Chewie get his medal. I enjoyed seeing Han Solo one more time. But that movie, really from start to finish, for me, just felt like a commercial enterprise. It was, here's all the different boxes that we have to check so that people on the internet don't yell at us. And yet we can still turn a profit on this thing. I did not go in with super high expectations, to be honest with you. But there was one moment when I really thought that maybe 
they would be making bold choices and make a really, really good and fun uh, and exciting movie. And it was when Daisy Ridley as Ray uses the force lightning to blow up the transport that we think has Chewie in it. My jaw hit the floor in the theater at that moment. And all of the gravity of that moment is sucked out of the movie theater five minutes later when you see that, oh, no, it was a different transport, Chewie's still alive. And from then on, you just know that, okay, this movie has no stakes. This is a conclusion of a franchise where everything is going to work out for everybody. So it's just a question of how do they get there? And I just found that really boring. And this is not a movie that I think five to 10 year old kids are going to be asking their parents to rent week after week after week because it is that boring, that predictable. Well, they don't have to. It's going to be on Disney Plus. I guess. Yeah, that's <laughs> a legitimate point there. Gosh, um, boy, that is a honestly several astute observations in a row. You just bowled a bunch of strikes. But I, I still, that scene you describe with Chewbacca is, I think, the perfect encapsulation of the problem with Rise of Skywalker the threat of stakes and the immediate retraction of them. Yeah, it, you know, the good guys are always going to win, and we probably knew that. You know, this is Star Wars after all. It's, it's not rocket science it's good versus evil and in the end you know it's a it's a fantasy fairy tale in space you know good, the good guys are gonna win yes but good um, can prevail absolutely. with still being having actual stakes absolutely and and yeah now this a friend of mine that i i um, am almost equally as nerdy with uh, about star wars opined that the problem with this movie is and it's not something that you can maybe even say about the prequels he thought that this movie at the end of the day was kind of just dumb and it's kind of harsh but it's not entirely incorrect i i I, all, I do defy you to that you there's not a single moment in this movie that you would want to revisit or enjoy that sticks with you i think there's more than a solid handful of just you know joyous moments as ridiculous as they might be that this movie does do but it is no more than that it is you know checked box after checked box for uh, and yeah the, what is going to make them the most money and annoy the fewest fans and get the most butts and seats is absolutely what the driving ethos behind this movie was. But I do also get the sense that the artists working on it at the same time were really trying to do their best as a final love letter to Star Wars with, you know, maybe some heavy exceptions up in there. Yeah, I guess what I keep going back to is I, I don't understand what's wrong and what the problem is with making a movie that doesn't offend anyone and that people just enjoy. We have The Mandalorian going on right before this comes out. This is Star Wars that we've not seen before. This is enhanced character development. We're going down a road and down a culture that we haven't seen before. There's, there's stakes here. There's unknowns here. There's unanswered questions with Baby Yoda and the Dark Saber. And we don't know what in the heck's going on there. So we've got that little road of Star Wars unknown to go down. So what in the world is wrong with a movie that you can just go to the theater, watch and enjoy with your friends and your family with a soda and a bucket of popcorn, cheer a couple of times, which everyone on this podcast did, Josh included, and yes, you can smile, you can laugh. C-3PO was tremendous in this movie. You cannot tell me the first 45 minutes of this movie, Josh, you don't want to go back and revisit C-3PO basically at his peak in the whole series. 
tremendous fight scenes, emotional moments. Josh, if you tell me the first time we saw this movie, your eyes did not well up a little bit and you got a little choked up at one of probably three or four different moments, I call complete and utter baloney and malarkey on that. I guess I just don't understand why you can't just have, Gabe's right, look, Disney is looking over everybody's shoulders. And so they are going to make the safest decision every time they get to a fork in the road, which way is the safe direction? That's the direction we're going to go. Which direction doesn't offend people and which direction makes us money? That's where we're going to go. But at the end of the day, I guess I don't, not everything has to be controversial. Not everything has to be all of our main characters die. Yes, there should have been stakes. This is an apocalyptic ending where all of our heroes survive. It's completely unrealistic. But you know what? So is Star Wars to a certain extent. Yeah, I think I have to side a bit more with Dan in terms of the direction that's going in. Now, Dan, don't get too excited. That doesn't necessarily mean anything in terms of the, the pointage that's doled out. But, you know, I think, Dan, what you were talking about, in terms of narrative, in terms of filmmaking, this movie, Rise of Skywalker, is as clumsy as it is stupid. But it's fun. Like, it's still a fun is it watch. though yes yes i believe because star wars is fun and to me to Not me boring this, star wars though but i don't find this movie boring i don't find it entirely boring do i find it as exciting as mandalorian no it, it's a markedly different medium that they are using to tell the story now do i think that a better version of rise of skywalker could have been made absolutely but i think that version of rise of skywalker would have had to still do all the things that this version had to. I, I don't remember exactly who said it, but I think that this was just such an impossible task. And I don't particularly think that J.J. Abrams did it well, but I know I'm going to be watching it again. I mean, we're all going to be watching it again, even despite what Josh says, because we are dorks. That's the entire point of this. <laughs> but that's why I think it is such a failure. I am the person who is most inclined to watch something Again, in, in almost every situation, if I have a choice between a movie that I've already seen and a new movie that I haven't seen, I'm going to pick the one that I have seen because I know I enjoy it. And so that's the one I'm going to watch again. And I cannot envision a scenario in which Rise of Skywalker is going to be the movie that I've seen before to choose in that situation. Josh, quick question. How many times have you seen Solo, a Star Wars story? That is a terrific question. Uh, probably four. And if uh, I remember four? correctly, four? And if I remember correctly, when you left that movie, you said you were not going to watch it again. I gave it another shot <laughs> when it came as, to as Netflix. You will, as you will give Rise of Skywalker <laughs> another shot. Jordan, you are making some fair observations here. <laughs> I, however, I am more convinced were I to give Rise of Skywalker a second chance, my opinion would remain unaltered. I'm going to try and strike a, a balance here, but I'm, I think I'm leaning, I'm like 60-40 on Josh's side here because, Dan, I got to say, yeah, no. Oh, I, yeah, I, because we've all, you've all criticized the movie extensively. The, the, I'm it, just the one well, who says that it sucks. It gets some <laughs> moments, uh, some fun moments, right. But yeah, ultimately, I... I it's relatively unsatisfying as a peak movie, especially when, yeah, it's, it's reconciling, you know, a movie history that's gone on since the seventies 
but we're talking nine movies here and just to bring up a comparison because it's going to come up at some point because we're still under the disney umbrella avengers endgame was a really increasingly pretty cap to a 22 film series maybe it was the 22nd film it's in a year in a pop culture year that saw finales of the marvel cinematic universe game of thrones and star wars avengers endgame easily stands head and shoulders and then some above the other two of those but you know admittedly the grading's a little bit on a curve because of how putrid the game of thrones finale was my point being dan i, I think there's nothing wrong with a counter with an uncontroversial movie or you know you know making the the one that's going to appeal to the most people but you know there's that and then there's actually i don't think there's also anything wrong with actually asking for a good story at the same time i mean even the some of the details they get inexplicably wrong i don't know why a sith wayfinder can't just be a holocron especially if they're trying to build all these inner universal things you know references between all the different media just make it a hologram it doesn't have to be this other unique thing you know it takes a little bit away from kylo ren to have emperor palpatine be the one pulling the strings behind the scenes all this time and i could accept that too if we had seen something a little bit you know him electrocuting the entire rebel fleet that's a pretty neat moment him getting killed and you know taken out of the picture by effectively double what Mace Windu did to take out Sidious the first time, reflect his force lightning back at him, but with a second lightsaber, that's a missed opportunity, you know? I mean, it, why can't we see another cool force power, a lightsaber, something completely new? And that's what this movie is. We're talking about it, picking the safe choice again and again, picking the familiar. This movie does not do anything, and maybe it doesn't have to. I'm going back and forth on this because it is supposed to be the cap to this entire saga, but it doesn't even leave a door open for what could be coming next. And while sometimes a nice blank slate is the way to go, this movie didn't, I think, have enough of its own identity to justify pointing the way to nowhere after this. Look, I, I agree with you guys that this movie misses the mark on a number of different fronts. To me, the example that I go back to with this movie, it bothered me when we first saw it, it has bothered me on subsequent viewings, is The Knights of Ren. We had heard these tales about the Knights of Ren. Remember Force Awakens, the Knights of Ren. Oh, he's the leader of the Knights of Ren. We're led to believe that this is one bad group of individuals. Yet in this movie, they are shown to be completely incapable of completing any assignment given to them, which completely deflates the ending when Kylo Ren is, or now Ben Solo, is forced to face them in combat. That should have been a moment of tension, a moment of suspense, and instead we're left with, well, yeah, but these are the bozos that couldn't find you know, the away team down on that sand planet, so we can't possibly believe that these guys are gonna pose any threat whatsoever. Yeah, they might as well have been wearing red shirts. <laughs> and that is also an example of something I think Rise of Skywalker gets right, even if it's not the movie's fault. Those, you know, handful of minutes where Adam Driver is Ben Solo and not Kylo Ren, delightful. I mean, there's just so many little ticks to his performance that change. And, and that, that's, it's those kind of things the movie gets right. But again, it's character based. Yeah. And, and, and I will say, and, and this is the last thing that I will say in, in defense of Rise of Skywalker. I've, I've, I've made my point. I realize that uh, like our balance of terror versus city on the edge of forever argument that I am once again in the minority here. But uh, yeah, the movie is not perfect. Like I said, it's sloppy, it's clunky, but I enjoyed it. And you know what? At the end of the day, for me, Josh, to your point, you're not going to ever watch it again, which I don't believe for a moment. 
but I am going to watch it again because I just enjoyed it and I'm going to watch it and I'm going to see it for its flaws and I'm going to see it for its nostalgic wonder. And a lot of, Josh, to your point about how you always want to go back and, and you'd rather watch the movie you've already seen before, that's nostalgia. And that's what this movie actually does really well as it hammers home some of that beautiful nostalgia that's one of the driving forces behind this podcast. It's one of the driving forces behind our, our bond as brothers and family here. And for that reason, I will enjoy the movie as many times as I watch it in the future. See, this is how I have to learn to deploy sentimentality if I want the real points. This is just so good. How can you deny this, man? You're convincing me, and I think you're mostly wrong. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I, I think... Dan, that you and I agree on what we were looking for in this movie. It delivered it to you. It did not deliver it to me. I, I don't think I was looking, for, I wasn't realistically expecting something as seismic as Last Jedi was. I, and, that's, and that's fair. It, it, it checked the box for me and it did not do it for you. So some really interesting points made as we talked about the rise of skywalker before we move on to our three-point question it is time to dole out some points gonna go to gabe first gabe you earned one point um you earned one point for the one reference that you made to the actual moment when we were all watching this probably less than mediocre film together talking about when we were sitting in a theater however you would have earned two points if you had added in a reference that was added in by another participant later on which brings me to dan dan you earn two points uh one for rewording the question which at first i thought i might take a point away from you because right. you know you were saying like i, I worded the question i thought you would yeah but it segued nicely into the point that I wanted to make about Rise of Skywalker being sort of a cumulative piece, being the sum of its part, uh, the sum of the parts that came ahead of it. Um, so I, I needed to thank you for that. So you earn one point for that. And then the additional point comes from mentioning the bucket of popcorn that one would inevitably eat in the theater when we were watching it together. Gabe, I mean, great bringing up the theater, but what, what's good to theater without the bucket of popcorn? So Dan, yeah. two points there. And, and just for the record, I referenced the bucket of popcorn that Jordy, you, Josh, and I shared, not the half bucket <laughs> that Gabe's sister Hal spilled on the floor before the movie even began. I just, for the record. About that. But, you know, we, we, we got our share that day of popcorn. We, we were going to go through that much anyway. Yep. Dan, three points. Three points. You just earned another one. That brings us to Josh. Um, you will be earning negative points. You will be earning negative four points for the four times that you claim to have watched Solo, a Star Wars story. This is a travesty. Well, this, this is this is guys to thunderous applause. This this is not this is not a travesty, Josh. This is the way. We watched it in theaters. There was one time when you all were at my house and we just had it on in the background. There's two right there. Oh, this this is this is a travesty. This is this is a sham. A new, well, moder was, a new moderator means it's a moving target every uh, time, boys. I was not part of that solo viewing party. I have seen it, but one and a half times. So to review the standings after two questions, Dan is in the lead with seven points right behind him, Josh with five points, and Gabe with four points. So with that, let's go ahead and move on to our 
three-point question for today's episode. Three-point question. This one's going to be going to Gabe first. Gabe, where do we hope the Star Wars franchise goes from here? I'm going to pull sort of a Dan and adapt the question, the first part, to my own purposes for a quick second uh, and talk about where we know is taking Star Wars real quick because there's a handful of things that are still out there. Initially, uh, we mentioned Game of Thrones earlier in the cast. They were supposed to have been given a Star Wars project uh, that has since vanished. That's not going to happen. Ryan Johnson, after The Last Jedi, was given uh, his own trilogy to work with. As far as I know, that's still on. Uh, so Ryan Johnson, we know, has still a movie deal to do some unknown Star Wars trilogy of his own making when he so chooses. Uh, although now he's got this Knives Out franchise that he's working on. So, you know, let's hope we just get many, many years of Daniel Craig doing fun Southern accents. We know that uh, Star that Disney and Lucasfilm have announced this thing called uh, the High Republic. It was referred to in secret as Project Luminous for a long time. And it's basically a giant publishing endeavor for uh, a period that I think is something like... Um, 800 years after the Old Republic, whether they're drawing on that from old KOTOR circles, you know, Knights of the Old Republic, that great video game, or, um, or the Old Republic, you know, online massively multiplayer game, which I'm not sure whether that's certain whether that's canon or not, but we'll figure that out. And 200 years before the Skywalker saga, so it's supposed to be the high point of the Jedi. There's a bunch of characters that have been announced for it. Among them uh, is what I think is the first ever Wookiee Jedi, whose name is Briaga Agaburi. Seems like that'll be pretty fun. Um, but it's supposed to be the Jedi at their high point. Um, and there's an invasion from a, a, uh, some hostile species. I think they're called the Nile. Um, but anyway, the Jedi at their height, at their peak, have to respond to this sort of threat. So we'll see what happens as that looks like it. But um, for my money, where Star Wars is right now, the best of their world building is happening in what would otherwise be considered peripheral media. It's in their novels. It's in their comic books. It's in their TV shows like The Mandalorian, like Clone Wars like the new season of the Clone Wars that's out right now. And where I really hope Star Wars goes personally is that it embraces this phenomenal timeline that it has set up for itself where you've got an original trilogy that is the seed for everything we know. And you've got so much time behind that and you've got so much time ahead of that. You know, there's a lot of exciting stuff that can be done with the sequel trilogy characters. I, you know, there's no indication what Disney has planned for, for Ray and Poe and Finn but, you know, those actors are all young, and I can't believe that Disney's going to go too long without trying to adapt them into some sort of media again, whether they get their own Disney Plus show or whether they get a movie, whatever. But I, I really hope that they embrace this open canvas that they have, um, and they don't try and – that they take a lesson out of the Mandalorian's book and play with what makes Star Wars work and not worry so much about trying to adhere to, you know, what people know about Star Wars. Go nuts. Be creative. It's a huge canvas. Paint on it. Gabe, that actually fits in pretty well with where I am hoping the Star Wars franchise goes from here. And this stems partially from my dissatisfaction with Rise of Skywalker. And where I hope the Star Wars franchise goes from here is I really hope we do see Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver on screen again. I, I know Kylo Ren is dead, but this is science fiction. In science fiction, nobody is ever really dead. Of course, it's science fantasy. I love those two characters, and I was seriously dissatisfied with how their story was wrapped up in Rise of Skywalker. And so on a storytelling level, I hope that we get to see a bit more from them. And also 
it would just be really fun. These are really fun characters to watch on, on a big screen or maybe even maybe on a small screen, maybe in a, in a comic book, as you say, Gabe. There's lots of things that they could do with these great characters they've created. I hope that we get to see them, see more of them in the future. To piggyback off of what both Josh and Gabe said, you know, I think what, what both of you were talking about was the great work that's being done now sort of on the periphery of the Skywalker Star Wars universe. And for me, where I hope that Star Wars goes from here is continuing in that sort of direction. One of the things that I thought of immediately when I thought about this question was that I really, really can't wait for season two of The Mandalorian. And as much as I can't wait for it, I also really, 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 really hope that season two does not do to season one what The Rise of Skywalker did to The Last Jedi. We've talked, you know, in bits and pieces throughout this podcast about how all of us enjoy The Last Jedi so much. We enjoyed its, you know, ability to embrace a different story, not feeling like you had to rehash the same stories that were being told, be, being told over and over again. You know, the key line in that movie being, leave the past behind. And, you know, I, I really, really hope that The Mandalorian continues to strive forward in creating these peripheral storylines, these peripheral universes that exist and still look like the Star Wars that we know and love, but then are telling us new stories that we can learn to love and continue to love from there on. Dan, you want to drive us home? Yeah, I, I would love to. And uh, I think you guys make some tremendous points about Gabe, I mean, doing a great job outlining where where the Star Wars franchise is headed and all the different directions that it can go. And, and I would like to piggyback off the, the notion of getting more out of some of these newer characters. I think all of you guys made the points that they weren't really given the opportunity to carve their own path, tell their own story in this new trilogy. We're talking about Ray and, and Finn and Poe and, and Kylo Ren because they were attached to that original trilogy and trying to kind of blend it all together. So yeah, Gabe, to your point about these being young actors, I would love to see, and Josh, to your point, of absolutely would love to see Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver back on screen together. You know, I thought they had tremendous chemistry. And obviously in the world of science fiction or science fantasy, that's certainly going to be a possibility. But I would also like to see maybe some opportunities given for some characters that I thought really didn't get a whole lot to do in this new trilogy. And one of those is Finn. I know he's one of the main characters, but I really thought after Force Awakens, he wasn't given a whole heck of a lot to do. I'd love to see you know, more done with him. And then some secondary characters. What about Rose? Rose was an interesting character in Last Jedi and really was just kind of left for dead in Rise of Skywalker. And another one, maybe a, a nice kind of origin story or, or kind of backstory TV series for Captain Phasma, who was this cool, unique, mysterious character in Force Awakens and then was basically just discarded in Last Jedi as if nothing was ever meant to happen special there. So uh, as it relates to the movie characters, I think that would be very interesting. I love the idea of new stories set in the Star Wars world. 
no characters we've ever heard of before, maybe alien species that we are aware of, but just totally new stories just dropped into that landscape and in that timeline. But more than anything, the one thing that I want for Star Wars moving forward is more Baby Yoda. As long as I can get more Baby Yoda, then I'm going to be a happy camper. And now that the secret is out, the Baby Yoda merchandise needs to be acquired by yours truly, Toot Sweet. So this lockdown, this quarantine needs to end so I can get out to the toy store and get as much Baby Yoda paraphernalia as humanly possible. Heck with the toys. Baby Yoda, the breakfast cereal. <laughs> so, Dan, thanks for finishing up the points on, the, on our three-point question. And that brings us, you know, bringing up the word points, brings us to our cumulative points for this podcast. So just to go first over the points for the three-point question, Dan, you know, originally I was only going to give you one point because you were really just extending the argument that Josh made. You were talking about all the different characters that you wanted to bring up. But then at the end, you brought up the one character whose storyline I do really want to see extended even more so. Um, I mean, Baby Yoda's great, but Captain Phasma is a character that I, you know, just the look of the character is so cool. I would really like to see that extended in some way. So for that, Dan earns a total, uh, or Dan earns two points, bringing his total to nine points. That brings us then to Josh, you brought up an interesting comparison, you know, talking about how it's, you know, it's science fiction or as Gabe said, science fantasy. So no one really dies. And that of course makes me think of my first overall pick in the Star Trek crew draft from last week being Spock. So for that, Josh earns a total of three points, just like Star Trek three, the search for Spock, where Spock O comes on back, hoping Adam Driver follows, as Dan would say, toot sweet, uh, yeah, so maybe I will have to rewatch, fashion. rewatch Rise of Skywalker to see if Kylo Ren does any mind meld uh, Ooh, right, right before he gets it. <laughs> maybe I will have to rewatch it after all. And now Josh has an excuse for going back and rewatching it. So when we ridicule him later, he can say, oh, well, I was doing it for research. Yeah, it's, it's all for science. <laughs> for science. Yes, absolutely. We have, um, we, have to, we have to alliterate that, right? We have a search for Spock. So we have to have like, what, a rescue of Ren? We have to have a, a Ren recon? Um, yeah, I, I think we're going to need to keep working on the names here a little bit, Gabo. But Gabe, that does bring me to you for the, uh, for the final point. So Gabe came into this round with uh, four points, but... He's going to come out of it the winner because he talked about a series that I wasn't really familiar with, the little bit of research that he did with the Star Wars, the High Republic book series. And myself, being an English teacher, I want to do whatever I can do to make sure that those kids keep on reading. And if that's that they're reading Star Wars, then that's all the better. So for that, Gabe will earn a total of seven points because I teach seventh grade. Well, that's where I'm coming up with that number. <laughs> for a total of 11 points and crowning the winner of episode three, Dorkfest, the podcast. Uh, Gabe, 11 points. In second place, Dan with nine points. And third place where he's not used to being very much, Josh. How's the view down there? Uh, a humbling experience, to be sure. Congrats, Gabo. Well deserved. Thank you. And a surprise, to be sure, but a welcome one. And with that, it's time to call it a wrap for this installment of Dorkfest, the podcast. 
For Dan, Josh, and Gabe, I want to thank you all for listening. Please follow us on Instagram at dorkfest underscore podcast and rate, review, and subscribe wherever you find your podcast. Dorks, I think there's still time for us to go into Tashi Station and pick up some powder, uh, power converters for the next episode. But to our listeners out there, we hope you all enjoyed yourself and will join us next time on Dorkfest, the podcast. I don't think you boys can help. I must go alone. Whatever you say. I've done more than I bargained for on this trip already. Your destiny lies along a different path than mine. The force will be with you. Always.